My name is Andrew Bustamante, and this is Everyday Espionage. As we end our chat with Edie Savage today, I wanted to turn the conversation to learn more about her strengths, about the tools that she uses in her everyday life to set her apart from the rest. I have seen her in action, and I know some of the techniques that make her great. But when I asked her on this interview, some of her answers surprised me. And I hope that they surprise you, too. What would you say was the hardest part of intelligence work? Either the hardest part or the most unpleasant part? The biggest thing for me would be never being thanked for the job that you do. I'm in an industry now that everything I do, people are grateful for. Mm. But in the intelligence industry, you're never thanked for the work that you do. Half the time, you're not right, not intentionally. It's just that... Information is not complete. That's right. So if there's something that goes wrong, it's your fault. But if something goes right, you're not the one that's thanked. It's the soldiers on the ground or the people that are actually doing the, the kill or the capture or the action job. Yeah. They get thanked. But, and I also found that we always worked the longest hours because you're constantly getting everything ready for somebody else. There is, and as you know, you're talking to different people or researching all these different things. So you're collecting all this information and sifting through it and then coming up with that little golden nugget that gives you the answer that allows you to make an assessment or allows you is that trigger for you to, to move forward on a mission. And you've just spent weeks, months, hours, days, whatever it may have been. Finding a nugget. And for one little nugget, right? <laughs> and uh, no thanks. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. The, so two things I want to, that, that story brings up. First, we're all briefed very early on that it's a, it's a thankless job, right? That we're in it. It's not that you're looking for praise. That's not why you start to do it. And I find that that is absolutely correct. When you start to do it, that's not what you're in it for. But what happens over time is that you get beat up every time something goes wrong, even if it has nothing to do with you. The fault always lies with the intelligence. Why didn't you take action? We didn't have the right intelligence. Why did you take that action? The intelligence was wrong. It always falls back on the intelligence. And after getting beat up and brought down publicly and in private, eventually you get to a place where you're like, I just did something right. Like this was a win. This was a big victory because because we found that nugget. Mm-hmm. And even if they want to thank you, even if they want to praise you, it's never going to grace the headlines of any newspaper that this analyst or this special ops team or this you know joint operations group was the one that found this. It's it's not going to happen because to do so would be to highlight sources and methods and give the bad guys a tip. So it's this really difficult catch twenty two. I was actually, I was, in, I was on Wall Street maybe a year ago, and I was sitting with a veteran-owned uh, investment company. And they had former Navy SEALs and former uh, Green Berets and a bunch of really high special ops types of folks who were staffing it because they had all went through this transition program where they left the military, were trained in investment banking, and now here they are on Wall Street. And I was uh, working on them with a joint project. And I found myself having a conversation with a guy And over time, it came out that he was one of the Special Activities Division forward-deployed Army guys. So he was actually U.S. Army, but he was 
kind of co-opted to CIA's Special Activities Division. And he would oftentimes be in a joint cell or a forward deployed cell where he was, un, he was not need to know. So he would be told, you're going here and you're going to be there for three weeks or three months, but this is where you're going. And he would go and he would have no access to information. And he would just wait with 15 or 20 other really talented, high performing special ops guys. And every day they would have the routine, wake up, work out, you know, sharpen knives, clean guns, wait. Essentially, they're just they're being paid to wait until the intelligence is in place that we can send them out real time to carry out a strike. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm on the other end of that same team back in Langley, and I'm building out the targeting packages and, and tracking the HVTs and assigning the drones to find out where these folks are. And we never would have met if not for crossing paths in Wall Street. And it was just this fascinating opportunity to sit with him and hear the difference in perspective because I'm so used to being on my end, working these long days, these long hours, trying to come up with that nugget that allows us to get permission from the president to carry out this strike. And there he is in a dark, damp forward operating base, surviving day to day with the same meal, going through the same routine, wondering if today's gonna be the day to deploy. And as soon as we send the action order, whether it's nine o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night, they're deployed, they're sent and they're on mission, right? And it was this fascinating experience to sit with him and hear how much we had in common in terms of the sacrifice and the thanklessness of the job and never really knowing whether what you're doing is why you signed up for the job. But then the camaraderie that we had instantaneously Mm -hmm. when we realized that I was keeping him safe in the field and he was keeping us safe here back in the States. And it was just this really cool experience. That's true, isn't it? And was he he out of the army at that point as well? Out of the army at that point as well, yeah. He was dissatisfied? No, I think that uh, he and many of the people that were at that firm were retired. And uh, in the U.S., it's different than in Australia. After 20 years, depending on your job title or what kind of job you did, you can retire with full benefits. So when you're an 18-year-old Special Forces guy, if you can live 20 years, which is a big if in many cases, then you're retired at 38 years old, Mm. and the government's paying your pension. I know in Australia... I'm in the wrong country. (laughs) (laughs) I have been heartbroken to hear how it works in Australia. We don't get any love anymore. That stopped in uh, 96, 1996. So people will serve an entire career and then have to go on and find a second career. Absolutely. And third and fourth. Mm. Yeah, it's just it's fascinating to see that difference in culture. Yeah, it is weird because I obviously have a lot of American friends and they go out and get second jobs, but they don't really necessarily need them because they've got money coming in so they can wake up and still get paid. Whereas we can't survive at all. You can't even afford to pay your rent if you haven't got a job. So you're on mission right now. Mm-hmm. What is that mission? In whatever terms you can give us that are not specific to you, Mm. how would you categorize the mission that you're on? My personal goals, I guess, is that I want to have several different passive incomes. So I have a bit of an entrepreneurial streak about me. So I like to keep busy. I like to dabble in new things. But I guess for me at the moment, I'm helping people and I am searching and being pushed by other entrepreneurs to find what my next mission is. And it's funny you ask that because right now I just I just reached out to them and said, for me, I need clarity. I'm actually not sure what that is. I had ideas and I've got about three things on the go that are happening. But I need to, I'm at, I think I'm at a crossroad myself now where I need to sit down and go, okay, what is it that you want? And then create a, 
firstly just get some clarity as to what where I'm going and then create a path and who's going to help you create that path uh, mentors mentors and then the person that you're actually asking those hard questions to is that you it's me yeah I'm, and, and I need the time and the biggest thing is finding that time yeah. which happens just to be generally sitting uh, on the plane <laughs> or in the, you know in the in the lounge the club before I jump on the plane that's about the only time I get my quiet time where I can stop and think or my quick trip to Europe this is just so interesting to me because what you have to do to get yourself to the next phase is to reflect by yourself and the thing that you have the least amount of is time to yourself to reflect on yourself so what's your solution yep so what I also find is whenever I'm making a big decision, if it hasn't come to me, it's, it's not time to mm. make a decision. So I used to, being savage and all, I used to, uh, <laughs> I used to um, react, I think, more than really sit there and think and decide. Now if anything happens in my business back home, I usually sit on it for 24 hours and I wait for the answer to come and then I know the answer and the answer is always better than what my initial response would be to something. So it's the same thing now. If things aren't clear... They're not clear and they're not going to be clear until I get that time. And I know for me with my schedule being as busy as it is, that uh, I guess opportunity to have alone time and think is not going to be until I hit, hit the plane. Man, I, I have to interrupt and geek out for a second because I just, I taught this lesson that mm-hmm. you're walking through right now. I taught it on the cognitive science side not too long ago. And it's, it's awesome to me to see it kind of come to life with you unscripted, just telling us your own process. So for everyone listening, what Savage is talking about is that the initial reaction that you have to a problem or to an opportunity, you have developed you have developed a muscle memory in the past to recognize that that initial reaction cannot be trusted. Hmm. Because what's happening in everybody's brain with that first initial reaction is a fight or flight response that's triggered in your amygdala that shuts down the logic and reasoning side of your brain and empowers the creative side of your brain. So your left brain gets shut down, your right brain gets extra blood flow because of this amygdala reaction. And that's why so many of us make emotional decisions in the seconds and minutes immediately following a decision. Where what you force yourself to do is not make a decision for 24 hours. What that 24 hours allows you to do is the amygdala comes back down, the hormones get reabsorbed by the body, the left brain starts to participate in thinking with the right brain, and you come to a conclusion 24 hours later that is both reasoned and emotional, Mm -hmm. and then you have better success. I love seeing cognitive science play out in real life. Mm -hmm. So few people ever get that opportunity because they don't give themselves that 24 hours time. It's funny because people always ask for advice to a problem. The thing is they actually have the answer. And, you know, I'm into mentorship. I think, you know, Richard Branson for me is one of one of the guys. I idolize his methods and I've read all his books and that's something I do on a holiday because I always take something away from his book. I think mentorship is important because it's not always that, that mentors giving you advice or answering your problems. They're helping you realize what they are and come up with your own solutions that sit well for you and your pathway or, you know, your situation itself. That's what I like about mentorship. You don't have to have someone has the answers. You just need someone that can help you trigger your own answers, I guess, or find them because they're in. And when when you were giving us examples of your mentoring style, you were actually giving us examples of questions. 
So it sounds like part of your mentoring style is to use questions. Can you tell us why? Ironically, it's interesting because it's, it's the same as what you're taught in intelligence. It's following a line of questioning and finding out their true reason behind. So again, what's their why? But sometimes you've got to have a myriad of questions that digs deeper, that gets what's the true reason. It's like finding a fault. What's the core issue of that drama, I suppose, or that mm. concern? Because many people will just put band-aids on problems when the problem is not, it's somewhere deeper. We've got to dig deeper. So it's the same, you know, you're taught in intelligence to, you know, follow a line of questioning to get the right answers. It's the same in um, as a mentor as well. It's following a line of questioning with someone, picking up that they actually want to do all these 900 other things. Well, we'll get back to those, but let's just focus on this one core thing now right. and dig deeper and find out the real reason and, and find some solutions that sit well you could do this, 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 and this, but which one sits well with you? Yeah, and, and using that questioning process to direct a conversation rather than letting it just spiral in without anyone in control. And then more importantly, coming up with action steps. Yes. Like you can think it as much as you want, but it's not going to happen unless you act. Man, the action piece is something that I, I get so frustrated when I work with people, talk with people, engage people, and they have such fantastic ideas, and nobody ever wants to give a date about when they're going to take an action. Nobody wants to commit to an action. They feel like they need to end that productive conversation with, I'll get back to you, or let me think on it, or let me reflect on it. When we all know, as soon as the conversation ends, even if you have the most honorable intentions of reflecting on it, life will get in the way. And that's what I think uh, leadership has a lot to do with it and starts with leadership but even as a mentor or as a leader it's always that's great I'd love for you to do this can you do it for me by yes date time is, um, it, is it reasonable that you have this done by Sunday hmm. right always is that realistic and then you check in again on Friday this is what you committed to on Sunday yep. are you on track or do you need a few extra days and I can't say I was always good at that and to be fair I feel like it's only been in the last 18 months that I've I've picked that up on myself. I've always asked people to do things, but I was always the worst with following up to make sure it's done. And then I'd sit there and get frustrated. I'm like, oh, why didn't they do that? They didn't do it because you didn't actually make them. Right. You just you threw it out there, but you never said, have it done by this date. You ne- And even if you did, you never followed through. Right. You were just like, oh, they didn't do it. They were supposed to do it by such and such. All right, and that's bad leadership. And that was something, but again, it took me ages to work it out. And I, and I kind of knew, but I didn't want to admit it either. And that was the other thing, admitting it to yourself and then going. So now I, I'm very much of the understanding my whole job is to mentor my staff. And then if I can make them the best that they mm. can be and what they want to be, then they will do the best for the business. Absolutely. And I also find that just like you were saying, you learn about your own leadership challenges as you come to grips with this idea that you have to essentially shepherd people through a process of accomplishing the things they said they would accomplish. Mm-hmm. It was commercial industry that really taught that to me. And what it helped me understand was why leadership is so lonely. It is so lonely because when you own the responsibility that everyone is your responsibility, there is nobody else sharing that with you. Mm -hmm. Everything that goes wrong, just like in intelligence, everything that goes wrong falls back to you. Why didn't this person get it done on time? Because I didn't Mm -hmm. coach them to, to succeed in that goal. Why didn't I coach them to succeed in that goal? Because I assumed 
they were ready or I assumed they were mature enough or I overtasked them. It always falls back to you. And there's a certain frustration that comes with that. But when it goes back to that evolutionary process that you mentioned early on in our conversation, that's exactly what you're doing is you are evolving. You're evolving to understand that the work is lonely, but that if your why is strong enough, then no amount of lonely work is too much. And you, along the way, you will meet other lonely people who are sharing that same experience and moving forward with it. Yeah, I think you always need a trusted person to be able to have an outlet with, to, with, to. It's your Australian accent. <laughs> Whatever it, lingo I want. Makes it so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, then, as we close down, what I want to ask, it sounds like you are on your own mission to form multiple streams of passive income. And there is mentoring going on, there is a successful business going on, there's world travel going on. What is the why? What is your why driving you to do all this? I think I want to have the biggest impact in a good way on the world. Um, And even if it's a very, very small corner of my own little, you know, portion of the world, I just, I want to do something good in this world and I want people to know me for that from a business perspective and that's like the business is creating jobs or careers for people and opportunity or more opportunities let's not even talk about jobs but it's creating I like the idea of being able to create opportunities for other people to be who it is and what it is that they want to be and that drives me and I think the army and the fact that it was a thankless job and now everything I do, people are grateful. That is a rewarding piece for me, and that's what keeps driving me. Is Every time I impact someone's life for the better, I'm like, I feel really proud and happy, and then I want to do it again. I can assure you that this conversation has impacted people's lives for the better. You have impacted me greatly. The dirty little secret among high achievers is that we never feel like we've achieved enough. Where some people are contented by routine and boundaries, we are constantly seeking growth. But growth is inherently uncomfortable. And there is no contentment to be found in discomfort. Edie Savage doesn't take credit for her own success. She gives that credit to others, to mentors and family members and friends. She admits her shortcomings, and she recognizes her battle to manage time, travel, and relationships. But despite all of those shortcomings, she never stops trying. She never stops learning new information. She never stops making hard decisions. And she never stops taking daring action. Because that is Everyday Espionage. Everyday Espionage is dedicated to one thing. Educating everyday people. I know that not everyone will listen, but those who listen will learn. If you learned something new today, click subscribe, review, and share the podcast with a friend. Find me on social media at Everyday Spy or on my website, everydayspy.com. If you are up for a special challenge, visit everydayspy.com forward slash operations and join me for an authentic spy training mission. And above all else, remember that knowledge is freedom.